Hey everybody, welcome to the Faith and Fandom Podcast on the Love Thy Nerd Network. Uh, we're so glad to have you here with us today as we have uh, author and you've done a lot of things. Um, but we have, as we have author Timothy Huguenin with us, tell everybody hi, Timothy. Hi everybody, I'm glad to be here. Um, fun to sit down and talk with Hector, an old friend and mentor. So... Um, Timothy, like, tell tell us as like who you are in terms of artistry, work, like what you do, et cetera, in that capacity. Yeah, um, I am. Uh, I, I call myself a horror writer. I've written um, a few books, uh, several short stories. They've been published in various uh, online and print magazines and, and such like that. Uh, that's kind of my main um personality i guess you might say in terms of like if i'm online like being professional um i mean i i do others like you said i i uh have other hobbies and interests and things outside of that i play guitar and sing at my church um i've written a very very few things for like local newspapers that are just not really important you know i'm not like <laughs> I'm not. Wait, know. the Timothy Huguenin from the West Virginia Times? What? <laughs> oh, I am the. Uh, there's actually a West Virginia Writers Organization that's the. Uh, um, I guess the name kind of self-explanatory there. Uh, but I'm. I edit the uh, membership newsletter for that, so I'm a big deal in that that uh, organization. <laughs> Listen, when you have your thumb on the newsletter, you you control everything. Pretty much, yep. Yeah. So, uh, on on the thing, like how how long have you been writing? Like, what's your, what was your first piece you did? Like, with that. Okay, so my first story that is that we know of that's recorded, and and thank thankfully I still have a copy of this. When I was <laughs> when I was in second grade, <laughs> I oh wrote... for real the, the the deep cut. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I'll. I, by the way, I'll email you a PDF of this uh, later on. But um, I get I when I when I was a kid, I wanted to write. I, ever since I could really like remember wanting to do certain things, writing was a big one. Um, and so, as a kid, I wrote this story called Tom and the One Eyed Dragon, um, and I even illustrated it, and then I gave it to Dad. And the only reason I even know of this is because dad just like put it in his office somewhere. And then when we moved uh, back in 2008, um, dad was cleaning out his office and he found this thing. So I scanned all of it and put it in a PDF. So I have it for it. It's pretty funny to uh, look back on that. Um, but but uh, um, I kind of wrote off and on as kind of a hobby and interest. Um, in high school, uh, a little bit in, in like middle school. Um, and then I first, when I first declared a major in college, it was creative writing, but then I changed it. Um, but I, I, I took a couple writing classes in college, uh, but mostly I've learned by reading other books, uh, reading books about writing and, you know, talking to other writers. Uh, so as for terms of like trying to be more serious, getting more serious about it after college, I kind of realized, oh, I always said I was going to write a novel, but 
um, you know, I had too much homework. I guess I don't have homework now, so I guess I'll try that. And so I kind of worked on my first novel uh, from 2012 up until about probably 2015, I think. Uh, I think I got a final draft, but it wasn't the final draft of my first novel. Um, I ended up about a year later kind of reworking it again and then self-publishing my first novel. And then uh, then the the year following that, I wrote the my second one. Um, so so what is your first one the one that you my put... first one i have right here is called when the watcher shakes i don't know how it's coming through there it has oppenheimer um, vibes oh cool that's a cool thing to <laughs> or i guess i guess oppenheimer it. has when the watcher shakes vibes yeah that's but... right <laughs> um it, it this, so this uh predates oppenheimer the movie but not oppenheimer the person right fair your um, point this is a uh, um, a story about a kind of creepy cult in the woods kind of thing. Um, this one is probably has a lot of most of my influence in terms of uh, being more overtly having like uh, themes of faith and Christianity. Um, and it has a lot to do with um, like kind of the more legalistic uh, kinds of expressions of Christianity that I've uh, seen and, and, and experienced and, and been a part of in a lot of ways. So uh, that was a, a very, people ask me, it's kind of funny because uh, people ask me kind of like, well, uh, do these people in these book, are they like based off of real people? I'm like, yeah, it's pretty much everybody in there is based off of me, even the bad guy, you know? So uh, well, that's good self self-reflection yeah um <laughs> but yeah that's that's my first one it's um uh, it's pretty cool I actually was kind of new to the horror genre um and as i was writing it i was actually kind of originally had a very i was really focused on kind of a dystopian kind of uh of direction with it um 1984 is a really um influential kind of book one of my favorite books and so i had a lot of that in mind while i was writing this and then i was as i was writing it i was also um kind of getting more into reading books by stephen king and and people like that and i think it kind of came out without me even realizing it and i was getting some uh author like blurbs when i was getting ready to publish it and um uh, the one of the authors said how are you marketing this book um i mean i'm kind of assuming it's like a small town horror thing but it's gonna what genre you're kind of presenting this as is kind of gonna affect how i uh blurb this book and i was like yeah i guess i guess it is horror i just never really like uh sat down and thought about it but by that by the time i had kind of finished with the different versions of it, it turned into more of a horror novel. <laughs> so for you, just to say, check this, like what defines horror for you? Uh, that's a big question. So um, the, the, I have a lot of thoughts in my head because I'm like Facebook friends with so many horror writers that we all kind of talk and then forget sometimes 
what a lot of people think horror is or what people because a lot of people would be like just ooh, i don't like that right because they just think of you know for in the 80s those slashers were a big deal yeah and i you know there are people that love those and that's horror yeah but then there's people that like saw those and thought like oh that's horror and i don't want that that's not my thing right um and then it means so many you know for some people it just means gore and everything but for me i and most of the most of really my friends in the in the genre here we we tend to want to make horror a big umbrella term and there's a lot of different subgenres there and it can include a lot more things than you think uh but i'm trying to think of like you know there's different obvious horror um tropes you know you've got like ghost stories haunted houses, uh, cults, uh, slashers, uh, you know, monsters, vampires. So, you know, usually if it has one of those things in it, it's kind of easy to say, oh, yeah, this has got horror stuff in it. It's probably horror. But really, I think um, horror is meant to um, explore, like, maybe the darker aspects of, of life or it can explore you know i mean i think at the very basic level fear is a defining characteristic you know whether it's me meant to make you afraid or to explore fear in a more abstract way that's a important part of the human experience and uh what horror can do for us actually i think is help us to explore those things, those fears that we have, societal or individual fears, or explore uh, the darkness and and um, really horrible parts of our human experience in a way that's still safe for us, right? So we can come to these concepts and and process them without an actual like serial killer chasing us down, right? Um, so yeah, that's. That's the probably the most unless I really sat and thought about it even more um like I said, it's a big thing, it's hard for me to nail down to one thing, but i um I don't know if you can cut this up better <laughs> no dude, this is good, this is good okay. <laughs> that's like i'm I'm just listening, I'm not like not even you know um not even concerned <laughs> hoping you cut me off at some point, no, no, it's like I'm gonna let you go, bro. Okay. It's as they say in the wrestling industry, he's cooking. <laughs> so yeah, okay. Because my 10 year old loves wrestling now. So I'm re immersed in that world I left when I was in eight, 18. Um, I, my pastor's son um, is really into Nacho Libre and they got him a, what are those masks called? Luchador. Yeah, a Luchador mask for like his birthday or something. And he's like, crazy about it so i need you to be able to pass this on to your pastor's son um if you didn't already see this uh nacho libre is a real person really and he's alive and he's still doing ministry um and but his uh his wrestling name is uh uh Frey tormenta okay <laughs> um I'll send you. I'll send you to think on it. But it's, he's a real person, and he literally kept a Mexican orphanage open for over twenty years by wrestling. Wow! And but he's like an ordained priest, um, and like he's still doing ministry today. Wow. Um, 
Like, and I didn't know he existed until um, there is a wrestler named uh, Charlotte Flair. Um, like, it's Ric Flair's daughter. She got married last year, and he officiated the wedding. And it's a big thing now that people want to pay Nacho Libre to officiate their wedding. Wow. Um, so it's just like, but learning that he's a real dude and that he actually kept an orphanage afloat by wrestling, I was like, that's so gangster. How is that not part of their whole promotion strategy? <laughs> like, if you, cause, cause I think if you did based on a true story, you'd have to treat it more seriously. Apparently, it's in the opening credits or whatever. Oh, okay. I'll have to but, watch. I've been a, it's been a while. I need to yeah. watch that again. Um, if I watch it, I'm barely watching it. I just need to put it on for ambiance because I can say the whole movie anyway. But yeah, he's a real Frey Tormenta, he's a real wrestler. Um, like, he wears the priest robes with the luchador mask. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll send you the um the thing of it, uh, so you can make that kid's day. Let him know. Yeah. Um, but so that's your first one. Uh, what was the response overall to your first book coming? And you self published it. How was that response in that process? Um. Oh man. So it was definitely a big learning process, and um. I had a lot of support from like the local libraries and, and uh, uh, went to places, you know, I'm, I'm not a good uh, like marketing and, and promotion and stuff. I don't really, I'm, I don't consider myself very good at that now, but I certainly wasn't good at it when I started. Right. And when you're self-publishing, you're just on your own. Right. And so I was still learning about going to, you know, book fairs and, and, um, uh, trying to figure out how to get, you know, Amazon promotions to work and all that crazy stuff. Uh, so it was kind of like slow, slow going for that one in terms of getting, getting it out there, getting people to, uh, know about it. But I, I got a lot of really good response from people that read it, uh, reviewers and stuff. Uh, and in fact, I, I actually did a second edition. You go over it so many times, but it's your first book, right? So um, several years later, I ended up going through and kind of cleaning it up a little bit just in terms of my, uh, you know, make it the style a little more flowing a little better uh, and got a really, th this cover, the, the Oppenheimer cover here, it's actually the second edition cover. I was about to say that was not your original cover, but yeah. No, the original cover was a little uh a little more basic, not quite as nice as that. I hadn't found uh I got a really good relationship with the cover artist when I got my second novel and um had him go back and redo that one. But um it was it it was a definitely a learning experience. Uh definitely positive. I mean, um the the most it's just the craziest thing to get a box of books in your house that has your name on it right so like that first i mean it's it's still still an awesome thing to see my name on something that i wrote that's like you know looks like something people will read uh but you know that first time is the kind of the craziest yeah um and you have like I know now from talking to you recently that you have a publicist, right, or a an agent, an agent. Yeah. Um, 
how is that like how has that been beneficial for you like what's that been like yeah the agent is, is great for one thing it really kind of um validates and it's a literary agent correct yeah That's literary the... agent yeah okay uh valid validates a lot of like insecurities i have about myself because it's somebody else that's gonna that like believes in my my writing as something that can be commercially successful and stuff uh so uh she we are working on pitching uh so i have i have uh let me think i lost count i have like three three other manuscripts that are not published that are uh, for like adult age ranges and then a couple middle school books that haven't been published. And so I got, um, I actually, my agent uh, was interested in me when I queried her for one of my middle school books, but she also likes my adult ones. And so she has been, uh, we've been working on pitching those to uh, bigger publishers. And um, we've also, um, there's some other things I can't really talk about that are because of my agent that are definitely good things. So, um, uh, so it's been a, it's been a good, it's been, you know, learning experience. It's an, it's a relation, a new relationship that you have to kind of navigate. Um, and, uh, but working with her has been really good and it's been really, uh, uh, give me a lot more confidence too, in what I can do. And um, I think it's going to be really good going forward. Okay. Sounds like the hustle's real with that. Yeah. Um, so just in terms of, you know, people writing novels and things like that, you recommend a literary agent over not. Yeah. Well, so some people are, do really well self-publishing and they, they hustle and they, you know, can get things out there and, it seems like they're not even phased by it. Uh, but I, I just know after, after my, my second novel, I was kind of like, man, I, I need somebody kind of in my corner here, you know? And, um, I, and I would love to get, uh, a publishing deal, uh, so that I don't have to deal with all the publishing stuff. Cause I'm not really like, it's not fun. To, it's fun, but it's, it's not what I really want to be devoting most of my time to. So, um, so yeah, she, that is definitely worth trying for it. And it took me a while. I told you I have three, I guess a total now of five unpublished manuscripts because I kind of committed to not self-publishing going forward, right? And so I'm like, I got to get an agent. So every time I'd like try to get an agent for this book and then I didn't, you know, I go a year, year or two and didn't find, oh, okay, I'm going to write the next book and get an agent for this one. And so... Um, just kept trying and eventually got there, but, um, it's really kind of takes a different kind of commitment. You know, there's the commitment of going all on your own and putting a lot of energy to that, but then there's also kind of the, the risk involved in just being like, I want to have all these books ready so that when I do get an agent that, um, wants to work with me, we will have kind of an archive of things to kind of go through and work with. So uh, that seems like torture to me, like not the agent part, the waiting part. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. Because for me personally, I can't stand for stuff not to be done, like yeah. to be out there. Like if I write something, 
I I want it out. Like yeah. because I I feel like there's a cathartic process to that and knowing that it's just waiting to be birthed, like in that sense, ugh. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> I that's, throw up in my mouth. <laughs> that's that's definitely part of it. I, I I do I will say that like that's the coolest thing about how about self-publishing is it can all go so fast really. Even if you're doing it like carefully and like putting a lot of effort in it compared to like the book, the book publishing world as a whole, it's still super fast. And, um, and that's, that's such a cool thing. And, um, what kind of, I, I think what keeps me sane is the short stories because short story publications, um, are move much more quickly. So I can, I, I mean, uh, it, it's not, you know, lightning speed, even the way I'm doing it, but you know, I can publish a few short stories every year. Um, event, you know, I have kind of a lot of, uh, now I don't have a lot of unpublished ones, but at a certain time in my life, I had a lot of short stories written that hadn't been published. And then, um, you know, it, it takes a while too to get those accepted in different places. Uh, if you're trying to get them published by like a magazine or something like that. But if you have so many at a time, you can just like keep sending them out and send them out. And so it kind of got to the point where I could would get a couple published every year while I'm working on these bigger things. And it kind of, I guess, um, uh, gave me that little bit of that little um, I don't know if dopamine is the right word, but serotonin you know, dopamine whatever it is yeah 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 it's that kind of that that little mini success is like okay i'm still putting stuff out there people are reading my stuff um even though i've been like in a cave working on this long thing forever that that maybe you know years before anybody sees yeah well that's uh like one of the things that i started doing maybe two years ago was because of that and like also I want to say 2021 was the first year I didn't publish a book since 2013. And, um, like with it, I didn't, I was definitely running out of steam, um, and time. And so I started rather than waiting for a whole book to be done. Whenever I would write a chapter, I would put it up on a website, like a blog. Yeah. And then I would read that chapter as a podcast and and in doing that that also dramatically helped the editing process because when i actually say it out loud i'm like (laughs) oh this is garbage yeah (laughs) let me go back (laughs) and fix it so literally half the time if you are if you ever listen to the audio versions i'm stopping going back editing all right back to the sentence and that's definitely helped with the the weight of even releasing it but like um like even now see and literally that's my horror what you described as my horror story is just waiting like and i know it's its own thing because i spent the past year and a half almost two years working on a comic book um with a guy that i work with artistically and um i wrote a script because uh a guy who works in the comic book industry uh like you know there's like marvel dc on down the line they yeah. probably work for like the eighth to 10th popular publisher. So they're okay. like down the ladder, but they're still good. Um, he, we were at, we were doing a show together and he's like, Hey, you should write some, you know, Jesus stuff and let us publish it for a comic. So I was like, 
bet. So I wrote a script, sent it to an artist, and waiting a year and a half for the artist to finish the book killed me. Yeah. <laughs> like, and it's like literally, I you know, we're we're friends. And so I'd be watching his Instagram. Yeah, that's a that's a great Spider-Man sketch you did there. Yes. <laughs> How about do mine? Oh, or we'd be at a con and I'd be watching him draw stuff for other people. I'm like, do my work. <laughs> um, but then like I finally got the book done and uh submitted it to that publisher, um, or that publishing company. And like I think we're on five weeks now of being considered. Oh yeah. And I'm just like it's like it didn't get told no the first day, but come on, yeah. So, like and so like I've published like a my, a version of it. You know, we'll go forward with it. it's the first edition because like the the book was in black and white, um, mainly because I couldn't pay for color at this mm -hmm. stage in the game. Like I couldn't pay the artist to actually do thirty color pages. Yeah, on my budget, um, and so the publisher said that if they do pick it up, it's going to have to be colored. Mm -hmm. But at that point, they could pay for that. So, <laughs> uh, but just waiting literally like less than two years has felt torture. So, yeah. like, I can't imagine you just sitting around with like whole worlds, yeah, in type <laughs> just waiting to exist. Yeah. Sometimes I think about like some things I wrote and I, and you know, you know, every once in a while you think about something you wrote and it's, and you feel like, oh, that was actually pretty good. You know, um, I mean, usually it's, oh, man, I wish I'd done it differently. But every once in a while, you'll think like, oh, that was a cool scene that I did. And then and then I'll realize nobody's seen it. <laughs> Nobody knows. Right. Okay. Except for my wife. My wife uh, reads all my stuff and she loves it. So, well, that's good. Yeah. So She's actually. <laughs> yeah, it's a really good, uh, um, really good first reader because she actually likes what our. I write, but she's also not like enamored with it. So <laughs> she'll, she'll tell me when something, when she doesn't think something's working. Good enough to appreciate it. Not enough to idolize it. Right. Okay. All right. Um, so let me ask you this. And this might be way too hard for you to actually answer. Um, what's the best sentence you've written? Uh, I don't know if I can think of one best sentence, but there the my third novel which is not published um i had an idea i had the idea for it and i went upstairs and wrote a prologue like kind of this idea kind of came to my head and this character and it was kind of not fully formed but like i had a real clear image and i wrote this prologue it's probably it, it's not really long just kind of introduces this book. And then I, um, eventually I, I wrote the whole book and then went over, revised it, revised it, revised it. But that prologue is almost word for word what I wrote that first day. And, and I keep going back to it and I would keep going back to things and try to, you know, see what needs to be changed here. And I might've tweaked like a, some punctuation or maybe a couple words, but like, it's remarkably the same that I wrote it the that first time I've never, I've really not found anything that needs to change on it. And I actually, so funny story about, um, uh, the publishing world. So 
I didn't get an agent for that book, but I'm like, I'm going to try the small presses. Because there's a number of uh, kind of small-sized horror publishers um, that that exist, uh, and the number constantly fluctuates because they're always going out of business. Or the one guy that runs it, his uncle has cancer or something. You know, like crazy stuff. Life, happens. yeah. Um, so I'm like, I I'll do that because that way at least I'll have a little publisher. Uh, they may not do be able to do you know, as much as a big publisher from New York or something, but at least they'll have already an audience kind of, it'll give me a little more credibility They'll they can help promote it and stuff. So I got, uh, I got offers from two small horror presses and, uh, one of, one of them, um, had, actually had really awesome things to say about that prologue and particularly said this is one of the best uh introductions like or prologues to a novel i've read in a long time so that kind of made me feel good and everything uh but i didn't end up going with him and then the the other one i did accept the offer <laughs> both of those presses went under before my book was published <laughs> so neither one would have been Actually, the the first one that the one that I rejected actually kind of dropped off the map um, first, and I was kind of like, "Oh, I made the right choice," you know. Uh, it would have it would have been in bad hands, but then the other one did the same thing, and uh, <laughs> uh, so that that third book almost did get released out there. My dad still asked me about like when that third book coming out. I was like, uh, "I'm saving it, Dad. I'm saving it for." the big time. <laughs> but, uh, so that, that pro to answer your question, I, I, I'm not sure this is necessarily true, but off the top of my head, that's one of the things that I, I feel like I can go back to and still read it and be really proud of that. Um, in fact, I think it's on my website somewhere. I think when I was writing the book, I was like, I'm working on this book. Here's how it starts. And, um, and that just, uh, made a bunch of people well it didn't make anybody mad because hardly anybody's reading it but if you were reading it and expecting to read more <laughs> you know. okay so you mentioned your dad and you know if if i say anything like inappropriate or wrong yell at me um how <laughs> like you come from like as you previously mentioned you come from a very not necessarily legalistic but a very conservative uh christian background yeah, my dad's very conservative. Um, your your family always had very strong like convictions about like right, wrong, and appropriate. Like, so I think of your mom almost daily. <laughs> um, because Switchfoot's one of my favorite bands. Like to this day, I still think they've consistently made some of the best heart encouraging music and everything. But I just remember like at some point, like let's say 2008, your mom telling me like you know, she couldn't agree with Switchfoot because their music was used in a Victoria's Secret commercial. And I think of, and like that she was anti-Switchfoot because of that. And I was like, I'm not knocking her for that. I was just like, but I literally have, that thought crosses my mind every day. Like a Switchfoot song comes on my shuffle and I'm like. Man. How does she even know that? I didn't know that. <laughs> but I was like, that thought crosses my mind every day. Like today, yeah. like there's a 21 Pilots cover of uh, a song by Switchfoot from their, 
20th anniversary of the beautiful letdown. And I literally in my car today was like, Leah doesn't like this album. Yes. <laughs> but yeah. like coming from a very, you know, you know, family that was conservative in those ways that had like strong conviction, on those things, how was their response to you writing horror? Um, really, they, they really liked my books and I was, uh, I guess I might've been a little nervous about it. Um, but honestly, my, my family has always been, uh, almost everybody in my immediate family are really into reading, uh, fiction and, um, in terms of horror as a genre, I don't know if we, you know, in the, in the Christian world, we call them thrillers. <laughs> uh, Frank Peretti yeah. doesn't write horror. It's, it's exactly thriller. right. It's so they were big fans of Frank Peretti and pretty, not big, big fans, but they also read Ted Decker. Uh, I was raised on that stuff. I didn't start reading anything outside of, uh, you know, I didn't read Stephen King or, Dean Koontz or any of those guys until uh, until much later as an adult. Um, but our family read Ted Decker and Frank Peretti and stuff. So in, in terms of kind of like books that had creepy undertones and overtones, like that wasn't taboo. Um, and so they, they were really supportive of it. You know, I don't know maybe if they yeah um they haven't told me they've they've definitely expressed positive things to me well that's really awesome um so on a broader scale of that nature uh like and you were kind of hinting at it um how do you feel like horror as a genre fits in with christianity in general uh yeah i love that question um because i because like i've run into a lot of people that find it um they they would take issue with it right like my mom takes issue with switchfoot uh <laughs> people would take issue with horror um and i actually had somebody in my church ask me one time um uh, how can you write horror and i thought uh, you Again, going back to like kind of forgetting for a while the people that aren't familiar with all the things that I've thought through and everything, um, it didn't click with me for a second. I just said, I guess the same way someone writes science fiction or romance. <laughs> but um, I, if I was really going to be a little more thoughtful with the response there, it, it would be that, like I said before, fear is just as much a part of what we experience as humans as love or wonder or all those things. And it's something that I think uh, we, we can, we can explore in fiction. Um, and as Christians, we shouldn't be afraid to do that. And, and for them. And again, I, I'm not, um, you know, we talked about Ted Decker and Frank Peretti and they have, their books are very directly uh, focused toward kind of that Christian reader market and that expects like a neat uh, lesson about the Bible kind of tied up in the uh, a theological uh, you know, right. platitude. Put up that's not what it. I really set out to do. Like I, I did say in my first book, it was kind of more had a lot more influence than that. But I don't 
I don't try to limit myself to that. I, I think stories that don't teach lessons are just important and useful. So uh, I don't want to give the idea that I'm trying to make a statement on theology with every story that I write. Uh, but having said that, uh, there's a lot of scary stuff in the Bible. You know, uh, <laughs> Revelation, if we really thought about it, could give us nightmares. Um and you could very much, instead of, you know, what was it? Lahe and Jenkins turned it into kind of like a, almost like a spy suspense thriller series, but it could have been a horror series easily. Yeah. Uh, and um, um, uh, there's scary things in the world. Uh, and uh, I don't, but as much, there's a lot of philosophical kind of answers that you can give to this stuff. But Here's here's the honest truth about me and horror. I like it and I don't know why. You know, I like it just because, you know, I it's like the the my favorite style of music. I don't I don't really know why I like it. It just like hits me the right way, you know? So uh there's something about it that I enjoy and I find intriguing and I don't necessarily have any issue if you don't like it i'm not gonna try to convince you um but uh i don't stress out about um really defending it much anymore i guess i just that's fair because i meant like and that's one of the things usually the people that have the biggest problems only want to make sure you know how they feel they're not really yeah. trying to have a conversation about it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just one of those things. It's just like, you know, growing up as a teenager on in the church, it's just like, you don't do horror. It's the wrong thing. It's the, it's the devil. Yeah. It's the, um, I've got, you know, people today that, you know, still won't watch anything scary or anything that has a demon in it just because, you know, you're opening a door for. Yeah. Know. Yeah. But here's the thing, horror, um, and, and it can be done a lot of different ways, but, most of the horror that are mainstream kind of, you know, you've got like the haunting and possession stories and stuff. Those are more Christian than most of the other movies you watch, right? If you've got a guy that's trying to exercise a demon from a girl, that's God is the good guy and Satan's the bad guy, right? <laughs> they they might have said a lot of bad words during that exorcism uh, on the part of the demon, but that was the demon. <laughs> so... um you that's another thing a lot of the horror that's even mainstream popular reinforces a lot of uh christian theology now i don't want to get into that because most of our ideas of what like in demonology and angelology and stuff really aren't biblical, biblical anyway, anyway. <laughs> but uh but in terms of like values um there a lot of horror movies out there are probably more christian values than um you know tangled or frozen or whatever stuff you know but I love not tangled. those are bad either i, lo- I was about I to say tangled. i love tangled no tangled frozen's overrated but tangled tangled, tangled is gold bro um maybe i just love zachary levi but still like yeah tangled is gold um so with creating horror worlds you've got stuff that's on the you've got stuff waiting to come out you've got stuff that you're still writing um do you have an idea of what you would want your big like magnus opus to be of like your 
defining story of saying like this is the one is there is there a story like that waiting there there was at one point i really really wanted to write a book um on the west virginia mine wars which is this crazy time in in history is this labor conflict that kind of started in pennsylvania in the late 1800s and then uh the conflict kind of started hitting west virginia in the early 1900s or the mid or the 19 1920s um and i won't get into it now it's this thing about unionization and the mine operators and uh hired so-called detectives that were really just kind of like pinkertons uh, and stuff yeah yeah pinkertons were pennsylvania and west virginia it was the baldwin phelps uh but it's such a crazy time in history during what everybody else considers everywhere else we think of the roaring 20s jazz age and just opulence and crazy you know stuff going on Gatsby and downtown abbey and all that. that yeah right in west virginia man it was a different world and uh workers were getting abused uh murdered and things just because they wanted a safer living living environment and better wages and um and I come from West Virginia, so I, I kind of learned about this because of my interest in my own state's history. But I find most people, I mean, even myself, I wasn't really familiar with it until an adult. So uh, uh, it, it's just there's a lot of stories there that I feel like need to be told. But I just don't know that I'm the I'm not the idea of anything that's like historical fiction really intimidates me. So that's why I've never even tried yet, because just the amount of research um, and the the weight of that kind of like there are true things that happen. And I want to be faithful to that. That what I love about one of the things I love about horror fiction is that I can make up a whole lot of stuff and it doesn't matter. <laughs> Historical fiction, you got to kind of be a you got a little bit. I mean, there's license, but uh people are going to be like, well, this isn't the way this was, and this wasn't the way this was. And I, and I really don't want my inadequacy in presenting like a, the historical facts as I need to present them. Uh, I don't want that to like stand in the way of, of a good story. So I'm really intimidated by that prospect. Um, and I'm not sure now even that I would, um, uh, like I said, that was something I really wanted to do for a while. I'm not sure now, maybe having thought about it more and, and realizing <laughs> the scope of of that, if I would even uh, be as interested now in doing it. But I will say, my fav one of my favorite books of all time is not a horror book. It's by Denise Giardina. It's called Storming Heaven. And it's about, it's set during the it's set during the mind wars actually covers kind of the history of this fictional family in West Virginia, uh, before, before the mining companies and logging companies did come and take the land. And then as those companies took over how it changed the family's relationships and, and how it changed the economy there and stuff. Uh, it's a really interesting book. And, and Denise is such an amazing writer that that's maybe that's one of the things i know i can never be as good as her so why would i even try to write the that book that she wrote already you know <laughs> yeah 
No. So I've got a friend named Chris North, um, who is a horror enthusiast, and he has written a series of essays that's effectively faith and fandom for horror. Oh, cool. So it's basically I, like what what's his name again? Chris North. Chris North. Okay. And let me see if I can find his book thingy real quick. Or his uh Yeah. He had to redo his Facebook page recently. Um Yeah, horror is kind of his jam. Um cool. and I'll see if I can send you uh links to his stuff. Um but like he effectively does devotionals based in horror like uh, being someone raised in ministry and you and i did ministry together for like a, a hot minute and have you thought of blending those worlds on your end before um or are those just you you like those to stay separate on the track <laughs> yeah i mean like i said i'm i feel like if i were to I don't know. I guess I just haven't considered um, considering doing something like that. Um, I guess I wouldn't necessarily not consider either. <laughs> uh, but at this point, I'm mostly just focused on. I, I've tried to do the blogging thing. I'm so bad at. It. I don't. I don't like to blog very much, and I feel like that would be something. Not like blogging, but like basically. I guess what I'm trying to say is. Um, when I'm when I want to write, I want to write pretty much just fiction. Yeah. You know? And um, so I guess that might be something I'd be interested down the road. But right now, I feel like most of my writing, like all my writing energies, most as much as possible, I just put into like stories. OK. I'm just curious because like that's like that seemed like a foreign concept to many people. And yeah, and I didn't know if that was something that had registered on year bubble before um I, I will say i did i have heard of one other writer doing something like that i think uh excuse me um i i, I never know if i'm saying his name right mike duran um he wrote a book i was kind of in touch with him for a while and we kind of have not really uh been in touch with each other in a while but i know he wrote a book that was about like Christian horror and his experience as a Christian and a horror writer and kind of his, if you had to make a defense for it, you know, that's what he was doing. And I, I have it on my Kindle and I uh, hope he doesn't watch this cause I haven't read it yet. <laughs> I've, I've got a lot of books that I bought that still haven't made it into my right. brain yet. So I feel you. Um, so last question, probably maybe, um, what have what's the scariest thing you've read? What's the scariest thing you've watched as a horror person? Like, yeah, where, where's that fall in your line? All right, I will start with with this. Movies freak me out way more than books. I don't know why. Um, it's not that the books that I've read weren't as good. Sometimes it's even like the not as good movies that scare me the most. There's just something maybe about the image that is more clear in my mind. I don't know. Um, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, this has to do a little bit with the context of what was happening too, but um, one of the times I was most freaked out with a movie, I was watching, uh, my wife 
was gone for something. I don't remember. She might've been like, it might've been summer and she was working a camp job and I was in town and by myself for a, a while. Uh, I was watching the conjuring. I'd never seen it before. And, um, and the conjuring is a good movie. I mean, that's one of my favorites, I think, but it wasn't, uh, that while I was watching it, I was like, I can't watch this anymore. But as soon as those credits, like the last image of the movie and the credits came on, somebody started banging on my front door. <laughs> and I freaked out. <laughs> it turned out it was my neighbor. She was like in some kind of rush to, she was having some sort of crisis and she needed me to help her. Like, I don't even remember, take the be the back bench out of her minivan or something. But she, she was... stressed out on her own so for whatever reason she was like banging on my door like crazy and i mean just as soon as the movie ended those credits rolled it it was just bang 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 so that's definitely a memorable moment where i was, was like definitely creeped out by a horror movie and then i'll give you a bonus one um i was watching the witch and uh i don't I don't remember. I'm I'm ashamed to say I don't remember the writer director, but it was one of uh, Anya Taylor Joy's earlier films that I think she got more notoriety for.
a good scary movie or book. Um, but I also have to kind of take his stories in a few at a time and take breaks because uh, <laughs> it does something weird to my head, like um, in terms of just like, not that I'm like thinking bad stuff, but it, it just like, like I said, it's very existential and um, it'll creep you out probably in a way you haven't been before. <laughs> the horror persists and so do I. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. So uh, give us your rundown of what is available for of yours that people can read where they okay. can find it and what they should look for. Yeah. So we talked about my first book, when the watcher shakes, uh, that's the creepy cult in the woods book. Um, my second novel little one is probably my most in terms of at least physical like when i go to book fairs and stuff for whatever reason this one outsells my first one i don't know if yeah. it's the cover or if i'm just better pitching it but this is a, a ghost story set in canaan valley west virginia where i grew up um i have a novella here unknowing i sink um and that one is is weird so we didn't even get to talk about weird fiction, man, that that's a whole nother thing, but uh, that's kind of my like weird horror stuff. Um, and my short stories, there's a lot that you can read for free online. If you go to my website, um, tghugenin.com, which I know nobody's going to know how to spell. So I also have a redirect <laughs> URL. The, the, the link will be in whatever yeah. this is. We can put the link in the show notes and then also mountainhorror.com. Uh, we'll redirect to my website. And um, if you go on a tab that says short fiction or short stories or something like that, there's a list of all my published short stories and where you can find them. And a lot of those links actually go to a website where you can read it for free. Although some of them will go to like, you know, if it's, if it's an anthology, it'll go to the Amazon or seller's page or something. Um, and then there's some, podcast episodes where my stories are narrated which are also on that list and if you sign up for my mailing list you will get a free kind of mini uh ebook emailed to you that you can read on your kindle or phone or whatever it is that you have to read things on uh my sisters so this is a big big uh oh, what's the word um uh, my sister's I think that's my scariest thing I've ever written. That that free ebook you'll get, Antique Bed. Antique um, Bed, okay. I I can see maybe why they'd say that. It's not necessarily what I think is my scariest thing, but um, I could see why they'd say that. And uh, uh, yeah, uh, I obviously, you know, we all know the drill. You're getting that free ebook because you're signing up from a mailing list, but you're not going to get a million emails. Uh, I hard, like I said, I hate blogging. <laughs> um, so I basically only send out email updates um, other than the the pre-programmed ones that you'll get when you first sign up. The ones that I actually send out regularly are just kind of when, like I have a new publication out, a new short story is somewhere, or there's a sale, or you once in a blue moon, I might try to like kind of um, help a friend of mine who's got a new book release, I might recommend it or something, but you'll probably forget that you signed up after a while. Cause I, you know, you won't hear from me. 
I'm just being honest. I know that's not how you're supposed to do it. <laughs> just sign up. You won't know I'm there. Just... Yeah, you'll forget about me. And then one day I'll come out with a new book and you'll you'll see my name and not know. And I'll just go, you'll just like hit delete immediately or something. <laughs> Hopefully not. Well, dude, thank you for taking time to uh, share with me and to share with all the folks that will listen, watch, slash multitask their way through. Yeah, uh, I hope it's not too difficult to listen to me. I, I'm I'm a writer, not a talker for a reason. <laughs> I don't run a podcast because I know how bad it would be. Uh, hopefully you got something interesting out of that. I, I think you did great, man. Um, thank you for uh, joining with us. Uh, remember, you're, you can catch new episodes of this first on lovethynerd.com slash faith and fandom. There's also lots of other great podcasts associated with the channel. Uh, uh, free play podcast is there. Uh, pull this podcast is on there as well and just lots of other cool ones on there um and thanks for taking time to listen with us and you remember to check out timothy's links and books and such in the show notes and i hope you guys have a great day